Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, episode 46, Cleellum Exotic Terrains. Thanks for listening. I've got new stuff for you today. You know, last time uh, we, uh, and by we I mean me, uh, took one of the live streams from my backyard on Mima Mounds and grabbed the audio from that and posted it. I did a little bit of an intro here. And uh, the results have been mixed, shall we say. Plenty of emails from folks saying, hey, I don't know why you're bothering with the live streams. They already exist. Uh, We can watch them on YouTube anytime we want. Don't bother here. And there's been enough folks saying that, that I'm thinking that I'm probably not going to do more of the live stream rebroadcasts, essentially. Uh, to be fair, I did hear from a number of you saying, uh, I like just listening to the audio, and uh, this feed makes it handy for me to just listen basically to the radio, and so I can get my earbuds rolling and, and do my work in the yard, and, and I'm happy to listen to a, a free-form kind of uh, live stream scene. So I'm back and forth a little bit on that mentally, but um, I guess I'll continue to think about that. For this one, it's audio only, and it's brand new stuff, and I'm, I'm excited to, to share what I've been doing really just the last few days. Um, it's, a, it's an exciting time for me involving geology here in central Washington, and let's get right into it. Um, exotic terrains... If you're a fan of this feed, you've way back uh, heard a couple of Geology 101 podcast episodes on exotic terrains. And for years and years and years, that's really all I've done with exotic terrains. In case you're unfamiliar with the concept, let's do something very basic in less than a minute. Here we go. Uh, There's an old basement of North America. We call it the Craton. And it is thick and continuous beneath much of North America's continent. And all continents have a rather stable, thick craton, an old basement. Uh, but like the rest of the continents on planet Earth, there is an edge to that craton, a very well-defined edge. I mean, the, the, the world just kind of drops off. That basement, that foundation just stops And yet there are still some U.S. states and some Canadian provinces and some states in Mexico that that continue, even though there is not this this craton basement. And instead, the basement is made up of these things called exotic terrains. There, I did it in maybe less than a minute. The exotic terrains are pieces of crust that were created in a variety of ways— in a variety of geographic settings, and they just happen to be um, soldered on to that old part of North America's craton uh, along the western margin, and those terrains uh, did not start coming in uh, and start being created uh, until the last 200 million years. So it's if we're talking about the history of planet Earth, if we're talking about the history of building our North American continent, this exotic terrain, is a relatively new chapter, a young chapter. However, if we're talking about the geology of Washington, realizing that everything in Washington is younger than 200 million years old, and that's true, 
then these exotic terrains are the oldest chapter. So it sounds like I contradicted myself. I didn't. Let me try it again very quickly. When you look at the entire continent of North America, the exotic terrain chapter is young. But if you then refocus and say, look, I'm just talking about Washington or Oregon or British Columbia or Alaska or Baja Mexico or California or even parts of Nevada and Idaho and Utah even, if we're just talking about those places, then this exotic terrain chapter is the first, is the oldest. We're going to build the basement with these scraps of things with various origins. Okay, so I have used one landmark here in central Washington almost uh, consistently, almost uh, exclusively, that's the word I wanted, almost exclusively when talking about exotic terrains. And that landmark is called the Stewart Range. It's a beautiful uh, sawtooth-like profile on the northern horizon, right from the valley that I'm in, the Kittitas Valley. It's a beautiful day today, by the way. I was admiring the Stuarts as I do many days, uh, just looking north on a little neighborhood walk. Okay, well, the rock in the Stuart Range uh, is clearly an exotic terrain. It's old, and it actually has a distant origin. You're listening to this podcast, and I'm comfortable talking about Baja BC, a concept that says that if we're old enough and we're realizing how much activity there's been here in the western margin of North America, we really can move things thousands of miles north. Like we create the crest, but then we send it north, up the margin uh, of the west coast of North America. Okay, that's all old stuff. So what's new with this episode? Well, it's serendipity in the most bizarre and kind of true senses of the word. I've shared with you that since the live stream ended in late June, I've just been vacationing, essentially, visiting with family and friends, but also wanting to keep a little bit of momentum going with the, with my YouTube channel uh, so that people just don't totally forget about it. Plus, I'm kind of, I think my mom said, are you addicted to this now? Are you addicted to your YouTube channel? <laughs> and I guess if I really dig down deep enough, I, I think the answer is yes, uh, because hopefully many of you can relate. Um, if, if your main gig is communicating with an audience, students, public audience at a public talk, uh, video program on television, whatever. If that's your game, and it has been mine for much of my career, well, we're all, you know, we're all locked down. We're all removed from these groups of people uh, because of the health hazard that we're currently experiencing here in the summer of 2020. And so you know what? This YouTube channel has been a way for me personally to continue to connect with audiences, whether it's live with the live streams or these little short videos from the field called Nick on the Fly. Kind of a corny title, but I kind of like it because they really are impromptu. Okay. I've only done, I've done less than 10 of these Nick on the Fly things. I'm actually debuting one uh, in a couple of hours here on a Monday. August 3rd at 6 p.m., you can you can set up what's called a premiere. It's quite pretentious. 
So basically, you upload your pre-recorded video. In this case, it's a 30-minute video from the Kleelum area, the topic today. And then uh, I, you know, I, I post that a premiere notice, and so then a live audience starts to congregate so that they can chit-chat with each other before 6 p.m. Pacific time. And then when we actually, you know, you know, there's a little countdown, and then the video actually begins, and I'm there in the chat room, in the live chat room with everybody else, and we're, I'm trying to answer some questions and basically just kind of be there with the rest of the audience. Yeah, the, the, the program tonight that's going to be debuting is called Cleellum Nice, like G-N-E-I-S-S, -S, right? A metamorphic nice. And the serendipity is, and I'm hoping to make this point before I go too much longer here, three of these Nick on the Fly episodes are related to exotic terrains, and I was just floored that what I learned yesterday just south of Kleelum, Washington, and those exotic terrain rocks, when I started reading the scientific paper on those rocks, they're saying, look, this stuff south of Kleelum is the same exotic terrain material that's down in the Klamath, uh, screwed it up, hang on. The main point I want to make is, some of the granite-like rock south of Kleelum, Washington, is the same as the granite-like rock that's in the Elkhorn Mountains above Baker City. And the, again, the serendipity is I just happened to just blindly make one of the earliest Nick on the Fly episodes while hiking in the Elkhorn Mountains. And the Elkhorn Mountains are part of the greater Blue Mountains uh, in northeastern Oregon. And uh, you know, they're, they're impulsive little videos. I was talking into the, into the camera as I was recording and saying, well, there's a bunch of granite here up above Baker City, Oregon. I uh, guess I need to learn about the age of this stuff. And uh, uh, is this a stitching pluton, meaning is this some magma that, that uh, intruded up through two exotic terrains that, that already accreted or added to the edge of North America? Or is there something else? Well, again, I'll try to cut to the chase here. The granite here in central Washington and the granite down there in northeastern Oregon, same frickin' stuff. And that's a brand new interpretation, but there's now geochemical data to tie those two things together. So you're a little bit on your heels right now, perhaps. You're like, I, I don't understand why that's exciting. I don't see the ramifications of that. And that's what I'm hoping to do. Uh, for the remaining, I don't know, 20 minutes. I'm already 10 minutes into this thing. Um, but uh, let me try to comment then. I sketched this all out for a change. All right. So, I'll, you know, I won't talk any more about the Nick on the Fly episodes except to say that there's one episode called Baker City Granite. There's one called French Cabin blue schist and then there's tonight's video that i'm sure you'll be able to find after the fact called cleellum nice all right so these are three exotic terrain things i got one more preamble and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty about what's going on in the cleellum area i'm sure that i've talked before about a geologist named mike tepper wow wrong mike eddie 
and Jeff Tepper, two different people. I just combined their names. And I'm meeting with both of them in the field this week. Tepper, I'm going up to P.O. Point, just south of Kalielum, on Wednesday to collect some samples, rock samples. And Eddie, who's now teaching at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, has driven all the way out here to the northwest, and he's doing some field work, and I'm going to be meeting him in the, in the field on Thursday um, over by uh, Wenatchee, I guess. So I, I mentioned that because Eddie has done amazing field work here in Washington involving rocks of all ages, but quite often in the Eocene period, so younger than the exotic terrain story we're talking about. But he's also heavily been heavily involved in the North Cascades. And I'm now on one of these uh, major NSF projects that Mike Eddy is leading, and he asked me to be the public outreach person for that grant. And I think very highly of him and his, and his colleagues, and so it's, it's an honor to be part of that. So as a result, I'm kind of boning up, essentially, on uh, many of these rock units that I've just ignored to this point. Like what? Okay. So I found a field guide from the GSA, the Geological Society of America. If you're familiar with these geology conferences, they have field trips either before or after the actual meeting. And you sign up and you go on the field trip. Well, I rarely go on those field trips. Uh, but they usually have a beautiful field guide where everything is written up, including field stops, etc. So I'm going to share with you, here's the title. Uh, this is a publication from 2017. It's called From the Puget Lowland to East of the Cascade Range, Geologic Excursions in the Pacific Northwest. GSA Field Guide Number 49, edited by Ralph Hagerud and Harvey Kelsey. So there's a variety of geology topics with some relatively recent research, including these field logs. And I decided that I wanted to film a couple of Nick on the Flies in the last few days and a half. I've got a car. I mean, uh, you know, we've been locked down, so I haven't been able to use a central vehicle, but I now have this, the right signatures, and I promise I'll be driving by myself because the health stuff. And uh, so I've got the car, I've been going out, and I decided I wanted to get up and start looking at some of these exotic terrains. So using this article called Mesozoic Terrains of the Central Cascades, Geology of the Hicks Butte Complex, Eastern Metamorphic Suite, Peshastan Formation, and Ingalls Ophiolite Complex. This is a whole team of geologists, but the lead author is James McDonald from Florida Gulf Coast University. So he's from South Fort Myers, Florida, and yet he's doing a lot of field work here um, in the Central Cascades. All right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read you the abstract. You're a geology fan. You can handle some of these words. And I actually read this abstract uh, on the Nick on the Fly episode that's premiering tonight as well. Here we go. Uh, this is James McDonald. I think he goes by Jamie. This is Jamie McDonald's uh, abstract from this piece, from this paper. This paper reviews the Mesozoic terrains in the Central Cascades. 
and provides a guide to field locations for these units. These include the Easton Metamorphic Suite, Hicks Butte Complex, and Higher Grade Tectonic Zone, the Peshastan Formation, and the Ingalls Ophiolite Complex, also known as the Ingalls Terrain. Age data, whole rock and mineral chemistry, and structural data are reviewed. Here we go. You ready? These oceanic and arc affinity terrains formed outboard of the North American craton during the Jurassic and accretion likely occurred during the late Jurassic or early Cretaceous. These were then dextrally translated north and emplaced in Washington State during the late Cretaceous. A better understanding of these Mesozoic terrains will more closely constrain the tectonic development of the North American Cordilleran. Translation, here we go. There's some exotic terrains within an hour's drive of my house here in Ellensburg, Washington, that I knew nothing about. Now, that's embarrassing, number one. Number two, it's like, okay, better late than never. Let's go out and look at this stuff. The beauty of the rocks is the place to start. So, uh, my wife Liz and I... Whoops, I just outed myself. I was supposed to... Okay, forget it. So, Liz and I went up to French Cabin Mountain, which is a, a nice high ridge. It's been very hot here, so it was nice and cool up there. And the ridge separates two basins. Uh, to the east of the ridge is Lake Cleellum, and to the west of the ridge is Lake Cachise. We're north of Interstate 90 in central Washington. We're kind of the eastern foothills of the Cascades, okay? Now, you follow Jamie's road guide, his field guide, the field trip that he actually did. Oh, Bijou the cat's getting fed. Little bonus uh, experience for you there. I'm down here in the basement and the automatic cat feeder just dropped some stuff, so he's happy. We'll, we'll test the quality of these microphones. Can you hear the cat? Uh, 20 yards away uh, chomping on uh, food? Okay. I don't know. Are, are you familiar with a lot of metamorphic rocks? It's not my specialty. It's not my point of emphasis. But I was stunned at the green schist and the blue schist that's up there on that ridge. Technically called the Shuxon green schist and Shuxon blue schist. Now, some of you in Washington know that there is a place called Mount Shuxon, which is on the west side of the crest of the Cascades, <clears throat> kind of up heading towards Bellingham, Washington. So quite a bit further north than this ridge near Cleellum, Washington. And that's important because the green schist of the Shuxon Mount Shuxon area is the same as the green schist of this area near Cleellum. And you're like, well, why is that? Why would you have two rocks that are so identical, basically, to each other, separated by 100 miles? And the answer is the Strait Creek Fault. I forget how much I talked about the Strait Creek Fault with you, but you know the San Andreas. You know that when there's an earthquake on the San Andreas Fault in California, there is a very dramatic shifting of the land north on the west side of the San Andreas Fault right? Big earthquake on the San Andreas. There's a segment of the San Andreas Fault that has released energy. It's ruptured. It, 
the pent-up stress uh, has been released. And everybody on the west side of the San Andreas Fault lurches north by about 20 feet on average compared to the east side of the San Andreas. Well, the Straight Creek Fault up here in Washington, when it was active, was exactly like the San Andreas Fault today. There's all sorts of evidence to prove that. But basically, the, San, the, the Straight Creek Fault uh, offset all this green schist and blue schist by 100 miles over the course of 15 million years. All right, what's the point here? The point is, forget about it being offset. Focus on the fact that we've got this quite rare blue schist with these gorgeous swirls in the rock just a handsome-looking rock, and it truly is has kind of a blue sheen in many places, and it's kind of green in other places. You might have to go to that episode on my YouTube. I'm not promoting myself necessarily, but you might have to go there just to see this stuff. It's high-grade metamorphic rock, meaning that it's been exposed to very high pressures, blue schist in particular, very high pressures and yet relatively low temperatures. Age for the blue schist and the green schist in something collectively called the Eastern Metamorphic Suite, 146 to 141 million years old. That's Mesozoic age. That's quite old for the Pacific Northwest, some of the oldest rocks exposed in the Pacific Northwest. The Eastern Metamorphic Suite between 146 and 141 million years old. That in itself would be kind of fun. Okay, I didn't really know it, but we've got some exotic terrain material right there um, between those two lakes, French Cabin Mountain. Fine. Well, now you read Jamie's paper, and he says, this is from 2017, he says, essentially, look, we've carefully looked at the ages, the minerals, We've measured the former temperatures and pressures when those rocks were being created. We know the protolith. We know that that green schist and blue schist was originally basalt on the ocean floor offshore of North America. And here's that ocean floor that obviously was beneath sea level. And now here it is 4,000 feet above sea level, um, you know, a, a full day's drive inland from the ocean. But wait, it gets better than that. Jamie and his team have got enough raw data now from the Eastern Metamorphic Suite that they see a perfect match to identical rocks in the Klamath Mountains of Northern California and Southern Oregon, the Gallus Formation, G-A-L-I-C-E. So in case you really are into this and you know some of these central Washington formation names and rock names, uh, according to Jamie McDonald's paper that I just shared with you, 2017, he's correlating all of these units and saying it's pretty much the same stuff. Shucks and green schist, shucks and blue schist, Darrington phyllite, Peshastan formation, Gallus formation in the Klamath Mountains, and the Ingalls Ophiolite, which is a lower-grade form of that stuff, over by Mount Stewart. He says it's all the same stuff. Now, here's one of the biggest points of today. 
Hope you're still with us. This is where we are now with understanding exotic terrain history. We're kind of past the idea, this is a generation ago, where you say, hey, look, I don't think this stuff formed in North America. I think this is exotic. I mean, that was a major leap forward. But for me, at least, it felt like it kind of stalled out there, like I haven't seen major leaps forward. Well, what I just described to you, having some beautiful metamorphic rocks in central Washington matching perfectly with some rocks in southern Oregon, near Ashland, Oregon, let's say, or north of Weed, California. If that's the same stuff, what options do we have? Well, I guess one underwhelming option is you've got just kind of a ribbon of that rock running up the old west coast of North America at that time. What was the age again? 146 to 141. Okay, that's an underwhelming message. That it's the same stuff between the Klamaths and central Washington because that was the old margin. But wait, there's another interpretation. There's another way to talk about why those two rocks match so well and are separated by so many miles. Dramatic pause. And it's, there was maybe a San Andreas fault-like fault. Not the San Andreas. The San Andreas is younger than 20 million years old. Not even the Straight Creek Fault that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. That began 50 and ended 35 million years ago. I'm saying we may, I'm not saying for sure, we may start seeing evidence for very old San Andreas fault-like structures that, in this case, offset the eastern metamorphic rocks from the Klamath metamorphic rocks by a total of 350 miles. And that the west side of that, I don't know, we don't have a name for it yet, if, if there really was a fault, but let's just make it up, okay? The old fault, that's what we'll call it. The old fault that separated the... Um, um, I'm just calling it the Eastern Metamorphic Sweet Rocks. Uh, there was an offset of 350 miles in total. We don't have the duration of when that movement was happening, etc. But the ultimate reason I'm pumped is because that jazz about Baja BC and having stuff originally in Mexico and having it up here in the Pacific Northwest, it did not work for many people because they couldn't find the faults that actually did the shifting of the crust. Almost 2,000 miles? Are you effing kidding me? How is that possible if we don't have the faults? Well, here's an example of where we might have these perfect rock matches. Therefore, we might absolutely need a fault, but the fault's been buried and interrupted and screwed up because we've had 140 frickin' years, 140 frickin' million years, uh, since those rocks were once together. Okay, that in itself might be a decent uh, message, but there's a whole nother set that I'm going to do very quickly before we end. The episode of Nick on the Fly that I'm debuting tonight is not what I just described, 
but it's just south of Cleelum, Washington. So I'm talking about exotic terrains that are both north and south of Cleelum, Washington. The stuff just south of Cleelum I just went up to yesterday. Again, I had Jamie's field guide with me. Again, I followed the directions, punched in the GPS coordinates into the fancy car, drove up the dusty Forest Service Road from South Cleelum, stopped at this spot. Okay, that's where they had the field trip. Apparently it was a crappy rainy day in October of 2017. I had a beautiful morning. Stop at the next outcrop. Stop at the next outcrop. Do some reading. Get your little lawn chair out. Got your little ice water. Everything's fine. South of South, uh, south of uh, Cleelum, uh, Washington, is the Hicks Butte Complex with even older rocks. There's a beautiful diorite up there with gorgeous hornblende crystals that's 150 million years old. There's a metamorphic gneiss, the title of the episode, that's basically some of the diorite that got changed or metamorphosed in a quote-unquote tectonic zone, according to Jamie, that's been dated at 153 million years old. And are you ready? Same idea. The new detailed geochemical work on that diorite and on that gneiss just south of Cleelum is a perfect match for another area in western North America. In this case, here's the serendipity, the diorite of Cleelum matches the diorite perfectly of the Bald Mountain Batholith in the Elkhorn Mountains just above Baker City. What are the odds that I'm filming at that frickin' Batholith by Baker City and two weeks later, with a blindfold on essentially, I'm showing up at the same rock uh, 45 minutes from my house. Same idea. If the rock of central Washington and the rock of eastern Oregon are the same stuff, and according to this paper and many others, they are, then we need yet another San Andreas Fault-like structure, this time offsetting the Hicks Butte stuff by Cleelum with the Elkhorn Mountain stuff down by Baker City, 205 miles of total offset. I'll finish with this. In that diorite just south of Cleelum, they're now picking out individual zircon minerals and finding evidence of Paleozoic xenocrysts, which are like basically foreign rocks in the magma that were not totally melted. And so that leads to the interpretation that originally the Hicks Butte complex the diorite and the gneiss. Originally, that was magma that was intruding some sort of Paleozoic crust. So now we're back more than 300 million years old, which is absolutely mind-blowing and very, very new information. And I've been out of it with the exotic terrain stuff. I'm the first to admit it. But even I would hear about stuff like that. So you're getting some brand new stuff, essentially in the last five years, that's known only among a few field geologists at a few conferences. And because of my connection now with, Tep with Jeff Tepper and also with Mike Eady, God, 
mainly because of Mike Eddy's project. I can't remember the guy's name. That's how much I know him. I'm going to meet him for the first time on Thursday. But the point is, I'm really thinking hard about these rocks that I haven't thought about before. And I didn't have to travel very far from Ellensburg, Washington to wrap my mind and get my fingers on some of this stuff. I'm guessing this one felt dense to you and maybe uh, inaccessible. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, even though I kind of wrote this out in front of me, it's very difficult to put into words because of the distances, because of the geography, because of the age, because we're talking about the earliest days. I mean, if you talk about the earliest days of anything, it's, it's by definition kind of foggy and fuzzy, right? The earliest days of planet Earth, the earliest days of you. I mean, I'm pretty sure what I had for breakfast yesterday. I don't think I know what I had for breakfast in the fall of 1964. So we're going way back. We're going in the way back machine as far as Washington history is concerned. And unless I'm motivated to take a sharp turn somewhere else, I think I'm going to be in this exotic vein for quite a while. I'll finish by saying this. There's plenty of folks out there now making programs. It's fun to see everybody doing things, whether you're a trained geologist or an amateur. You're making videos, you're flying drones, you're uh, sharing photos and little snapshots of this and that. There's Facebook groups and everything else. It's wonderful to see all that. I really mean that. It's, it's wonderful to see all this interest. But it's mostly recent stuff. It's mostly Ice Age stuff. It's mostly the Columbia River basalts. It's, it's mostly the Cascade volcanoes. And there's a reason for that. It's recent stuff that resonates with people easily because it's fresh. There's nobody talking about this exotic terrain material. And I include myself because it's hard. It's really hard. But at least currently, I'm pumped because I think I might have some ways to communicate these ideas and this work in the face of nobody else even having a sense of how to do it. I have enough experience that I think I might be able to make it work. And the field work has been done in many cases. So, I hope in the next episode of this series, I hope, I sincerely hope I'm not onto something totally different. Yeah, yeah, that last thing about exotic trains, yeah, whatever, I got discouraged, I'm onto something else. I don't think so. I think I'm going to be rolling for a while, and I hope that you're willing to be along for the ride. Dear listener, thank you so much for listening to this fresh and hot-off-the-press episode of what is this? The Nick Sentner Geology Podcast. Sure do appreciate your listening. Hope everything's going well in your world. Hope that you're healthy and all your family and friends are healthy too. I love you and goodbye.